If you were with us the last two weeks, we were telling a story about a man born blind. And Jesus comes and he sees the man, a human being, a bag of brokenness, a bag of glory. And Jesus heals him and gives him sight. And Jesus says, I'm doing this to reveal that I am from God, that I am God's son, and that I have the power to do these things. Because I've come not just to give physical sight, but also spiritual sight. And he's talking to this group of Jewish leaders, um, the elites of Jerusalem, who would have had all the power, both in the political and the religious realms. And uh, they thought of themselves as the shepherds of God's people. They thought God had given them the authority to lead his people. And Jesus basically, through the story he's about to tell, is telling them no. You guys are not leading God's people in the right direction, and so God has sent me to be their new shepherd. And what he does for the spiritually blind, he also does for the spiritually deaf. So the last two weeks we were talking about spiritual blindness, to be able to see the glory of God, and this week we're talking about um, spiritual ears, to be able to hear the voice of God, to hear the direction of God. And so God has come in Jesus Christ to address both spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness, and he wants us to see him and hear him so that we might follow him to life. And so that's what this passage is all about. So you're going to hear a lot. If you're taking notes um, or if you you have a Bible, there's, um, there's some of these in the seat back in front of you. If you wanted to turn with me to John chapter 10, we're about to read this. Um, or if you have your own Bible, or you could look it up online. But John chapter 10, if you're using these Bibles, page 952, cheat sheet. And, and we're going to read this together. And what I want you to do in your Bible, or even if you take one of these pew Bibles, feel free to grab a pen, and I want you to circle or underline, as I read the passage, every time that voice or listen is talked about, something related to the ears, okay, or the voice of God, or listening. So I want you to see that this is really... So important to what Jesus is talking about in our passage, okay? So, I'm going to read it. Read along with me. John chapter 10, 21 verses. So this is right after he's healed the blind man and the the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, um, reject Jesus because Jesus has just called them blind. They don't like that. And then the very next thing Jesus says, so we're still in that same context when he says this. He says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him. And the sheep hear his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. So I want you to picture that. He goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away. From that stranger, because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand 
what he was telling them. So Jesus said again, verse 7, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters the sheep. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now let me pause right here. I'm not going to spend a ton of time. This is beautiful. What he's saying is to, to the Israelites... Yes, you're God's people, but not just you. I am sent to all of the world, but there's still one shepherd, one flock, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, all people are God's people. Beautiful. Verse 17. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Now this will become important because Jesus is saying, he knows they're trying to kill him, these Jerusalem elites. He knows it, and he also knows he's going to give his life for his sheep. But he wants them to know, I give it, you don't take it from me. Verse 19. And again, the Jews, and, and when John says the Jews, he's not talking about all the Jewish people. He's talking about the Jewish religious elites. They were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Okay, so what we have here, again, is to, to our ears, we've got to do a little bit of extra work. To the people hearing this when Jesus first spoke like this, two things would have been so obvious. When they start talking about how the sheep know the shepherd, and there's a gate, and there's a pen, and there's thieves, and there's wolves, this, this imagery would have been so alive to them. I mean, they would have just remembered stories, and, oh, I remember when this happened, and, and I, I've seen that, and I, all, all this stuff would come alive. So um, just sort of the metaphor and the picture would have been vivid to them, okay? 
But the other thing that would have happened, particularly to the, the most uh, sort of biblically literate among them that understood the scriptures, and that would have been the ones who he's basically calling thieves and robbers, uh, they would have known that what he's saying is reverberating what God has already said throughout all of the Hebrew scriptures. Again and again and again. If you read the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, you'll see God referring to himself as the shepherd of his people. And there's probably no more parallel passage than in Ezekiel 34. So because I want you all to become students of the Bible and know the Bible, I'm going to read you the whole chapter of Ezekiel 34 in hopes that you could get into a mind. You've already seen what sheep are like. I want to get you into a mindset of to know Ezekiel 34 so that, because that when Jesus speaks, you'd be like, oh, he's saying he's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. So if you've got a Bible, you could turn there or we'll throw it on the screen for you as well. And I'm going to read it kind of fast because it's a little long, but I want you to get the fullness. This is the Word of God, and we'll talk about why it's so important to learn how to listen to the Word of God. And one of the, we'll talk about this at the end, but one of the ways you learn to listen to the shepherd is to, to see the words he's already spoken. That's why we read the Old Testament. That's why we read the prophets. God has spoken already, and so you just keep listening to those tracks, and you'll learn God's voice. You say, oh. So you need to learn how to hear his voice. And, and the people hearing Jesus speak, they would have known that he is echoing these words and therefore claiming they're his own words. That He's already said this before, okay? So let's read it. Ezekiel 34 says this. This is the prophet Ezekiel, prophesying about 600 years before the time of Christ. Ezekiel said this, that God gave him these words to write. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says. This is the word. This is God's voice. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat. You wear the wool. And butchered the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, God says, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal, and because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flocks, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the, on the day of clouds and total darkness. 
What's John been talking about? The light has come into the total darkness. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, all of the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountain of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock, and I will let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak. You could say heal the blind. I will shepherd them with justice. As for you, my flock, the Lord God says this, look, I am going to judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the goats. Isn't it enough for you to feed on the good, is it, isn't it enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Or isn't it enough that you drink the clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Yet my flock has to feed on what your feet have trampled and drink what your feet have muddied. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Since you have pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your horns, he's talking again to the bad shepherds here, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David. My servant David. Out of the line of David came King Jesus. And he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them, the prince of peace. I, the Lord, have spoken. So, you can finish the rest. I think I got, you get the idea. So when the Jewish leaders, who, who probably there's a very good chance had Ezekiel 34 memorized. This is their job, to know the scriptures so well. And Jesus starts saying, I am the shepherd. They knew exactly what he was referring to. And so we're going to look at three big categories of people here when it comes to spiritual deafness. Okay. Um, we're going to look at the shepherd. What is, what is the shepherd? What does it mean that Jesus equivocates himself with the shepherd, that God equivocates himself with the shepherd? Then we're going to look at the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate. What does that mean, that he is the gate? Then we're going to look at the sheep. What does it mean that we are sheep? And then we're going to look at pasture, this beautiful promise of the pasture. Okay? So we're going to go through that and let's see how it goes and uh, try to unpack, unravel this beautiful picture because it's not as clear to us. We'll try to unravel this beautiful picture that God gives us both in Ezekiel and then Jesus in John 10. Okay, so look, verse 11, back, we're back in John 10 now. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Okay, so the people were expecting a new shepherd. Um, you see it in Ezekiel 34. You could go back in Numbers, and in Numbers 27, when Joshua is appointed by Moses to take over, because Moses knows he's about to die, there's this whole ceremony that they do, and, 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 and Moses uses the same words that Jesus uses here in the, in the commissioning ceremony for Joshua. And it says, You will have now authority, Joshua, to help the people of God come in and go out. Come in and go out. So we see that same language right here in verse 9. So look at verse 9. Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and go out. So if you went to Numbers 27, verses 18 to 21, you'd, you'd see this, that, that God did, said the exact same thing, that it's your job to help the sheep come in and go out. So that to Joshua, and so from Moses to Joshua to King David, there's always been a shepherd over Israel. But what Jesus is coming on the scene is saying, yes, Moses was, but I am greater. Yes, Joshua was, but I am greater. Yes, King David was, but I am greater. I am the greater shepherd, the good shepherd, for I am God in the flesh. Okay. Now, as he says this, he gives us some description about what it means to be a good shepherd. Um, time and time again, Jesus will say, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give rest to your soul. So this is the primary uh, lens with which to think about the shepherd. The shepherd's job is to keep his sheep and give them rest and food and pasture and to do that, he needs to know them personally. This is what it means to be the good shepherd. Now, you say, like, okay, that makes sense. But Jesus, even for people that understand what a good shepherd and a bad shepherd would be, he gives some other types of people to help us see, in contrast, what a good shepherd is versus hired hands, versus strangers, and versus thieves and robbers. So he, Jesus even is trying to help us see because, again, he's speaking metaphorically about what's actually happening with the people of God. That there are these so-called shepherds, the religious leaders, who are not shepherding with the best intentions. That are keeping, like Ezekiel 34 says, all the good food for themselves. And they are using the sheep for their own ends. Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm different. Okay, so I want to look at each of these counterparties and see what we can glean from them. Jesus will say, I'm no thief, I'm no stranger, and I'm no hired hand. Okay, the first is thieves and robbers. So obviously when sheep were gathered, there were people who were looking to make money because they didn't have their own sheep, and so they would come in and climb over the wall of the sheep. Now, in, like a, in, in, in sort of a village setting, there would be actual walls, sometimes even as high as 12 feet, and the sheep would be in there. And so you could picture just a robber climbing over a wall and trying to get the sheep over. Um, great kid show 
Shaun of the Sheep, if you've never seen that. Um, it's like funny to watch. Sheep are great. And uh, as you can picture like a robber climbing in. Now, there would also be times when for weeks, you know, the shepherd would go out into the countryside and he'd be tending his flock out on the countryside. And so he'd create sort of temporary pens or sheep pens, either tucked into a cave or um, up against a rock wall and then try to create a boundary for them to protect them. So you can picture wolves and thieves and robbers coming in trying to take for their own gain that which is the shepherd's. This is sort of the picture that he has in mind. Now this isn't the only time that we hear Jesus talk about this. In Matthew 7, 15 to 20, uh, so the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus also uses a sheep metaphor, and he says this. He says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but the bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now what Jesus is being honest about here, and, it, and we need to be honest about, is it's not always so obvious who's the shepherd and who are the thieves, particularly to sheep. Right? So we have to extend the metaphor. Now we would say... Like, watching the scene, it's obvious if somebody's climbing over the fence that they're not good news. But to the sheep, they're sheep. And I think it's true of us. It's not always so obvious, is it, to us? Who are the wolves? Who are the thieves? Who are the robbers? It's really hard to know. John says in his, another letter that he wrote to the churches, 1 John 4.1, he says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So I bring these other passages in because Jesus doesn't come out and say it, but he is claiming that these Pharisees are akin to false prophets, false teachers. And even in the spiritual realm, there are lies that are being told to the people of God, but it's very hard for the people of God to know. But step number one is knowing that they exist, that not everyone who claims to be here for your good is here for your good. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, the way to figure that out is to see their fruit. See their fruit. Here's the problem. Can you see the fruit of your favorite podcaster? Have you met them? Do you know them? What about the televangelist or the church you like to watch their sermons online? This is the problem. Basically, what the internet has created is really low walls, and it's really easy to sneak in. And people are sneaking in all over the place. And I actually really appreciate it, and many of you have done this. You said, hey, Dave, I've got a uh, podcast I've heard 
I'd love to get your thoughts on it. That's a great thing to do. Because you know me, most of you. And if you don't, let's get to know each other. And, and me and Ryan and Ty and, and, and all the leaders at this church make, make a really extended effort to be known. Because it is so hard to know who are the thieves and robbers and who are there for your good. It's so hard to know, now more than ever. But Jesus gave us. I mean, it would have been nice if he said, in the age of the internet, <laughs> you will know them by. <laughs> you know, like. But honestly, what you find, and, and, and this is just breaks your heart every time you, you see it, these, these pastors, um, these sort of public figures who have really big platforms, again and again, it is revealed the real fruit of their life, often at the end of their ministries. And it's just heartbreaking, and our hearts should break. We should lead with lament. But it should not surprise us. Jesus said there will be people who come, and they see you as a dollar sign. That's why they use corporate mass marketing techniques to harvest your wool. Don't let them pull that same wool over your eyes. That's why it's so important to be involved in a local church body and not live and do your whole Christian existence on the internet, for instance. Or, or, or honestly, you could do this in a very, very big church as well. That there's just such a gap between you and knowing the fruit of the person who is claiming to be the teacher, okay? So just be careful of that. Okay. So not everybody that ends up in the pen is there for good reasons. So we've got to help each other. We've got to bah when we see bad things. <laughs> okay. So then Jesus compares himself. He says, you know, I'm a shepherd. I'm not a stranger. He goes on to say, you know, good sheep, they don't follow strangers because they don't recognize the voice. And I distinguish strangers from thieves because a stranger just might be somebody who, he'll go on to say, and we'll get there in a second, the hired hand who the shepherd has hired to keep watch or who's helping out. And the sheep, good sheep, because they know how to hear the, father or the shepherd's voice, uh, they don't follow in the same way. And that's a good thing. So there's a difference. Basically what Jesus says is a good shepherd is not a stranger. So we've got the thieves and robbers who have bad intentions, and then we have just people who are strangers to you, okay? And the, the most beautiful thing, I love this so much, is that Jesus says, the shepherd knows every sheep by name. Every sheep. He knows your name. He knows your name. And that's actually true of shepherding. In the ancient Near East, the shepherds would give each of their sheep a name. Oftentimes, it would be related to how they look. Like, honestly, like the same way that we name our pets. I mean, these guys love their sheep. So, you know, you got the fat one they call Moose. Just like my dog was the biggest in the litter, so they called him Moose. The small one we call Mouse. The extra fluffy one we call Marsh. The lazy one we call Mellow. And when it was time to go, the shepherd would say, Moose, mouse, 
marshmallow, come, let's go. And they would actually hear. And there's stories that have been told. If you, if you hang out with shepherds, like two shepherds might like share a pen for a night and mix their sheep. But then as the shepherds go to take them out to pasture, all they have to do is they call their sheep by name, and you watch the sheep, and they just, they don't get confused. They know exactly who's their shepherd, even if they shared a pen with another flock that night. It's beautiful, because the shepherds know their sheep by name. So Jesus is saying, I am not a stranger to you. I am a friend. I am a friend. You know when a friend is calling. You pick up the phone, and within the first Two syllables, you know. Ty, great to hear. What's up? You know, right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? And if it's a stranger, it takes you a while. And like you're looking for clues. And uh, this happened to me the other day. Uh, My sister-in-law, Melinda, she lives over in Spokane, and she sent me a text with her... And, and uh, a couple in their uh, 60s, and, and, and she just said this in the text. She said, look who I ran into. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so I sent a little, uh, I said, great, where are you at? She says, a cross-country tur-. I was like, I don't run, okay. <laughs> so it's not my cross-country friends. And I'm going through my Rolodex, Rolodex, Rolodex. I'm zooming in on the photo. I'm taking a look at, you know, jawline, brow. Okay. And I actually figured it out. Stuart. My buddy Stuart Bell. Okay. And so I got it right, but it took me some time. So me and Stuart are, you know, we're acquaintances, but he doesn't know my voice. I don't know his voice. I don't immediately see his face and recognize him. That's not true of Jesus. When he sees your face, when when you hear his voice, That's the goal, that you know. There's your friend. Okay. So the same things I said about thieves and robbers could be true of strangers. So it might not be somebody who's in it for the wrong reason, but honestly, if they're a stranger to you, they can't be there for you like the shepherd is. So just be careful of that. Put yourself in situations in which you're known and known by others. Now, ultimately, we're talking about being known by God, in Jesus, but Jesus then gives sort of sub-shepherds in your life. That could be parents or friends or pastors. Get to know them. Let them know you so that you can learn to hear their voice as well so that you're not just surrounded by strangers in your spiritual walk. Okay, the last category he gives in verse 12 here is hired hands. Let's read that one together. He says this. He says, the hired, it says, I am the good, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. And then he says, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, circle own, doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Okay? So, The hired hand may know the sheep a little bit more personally, but he doesn't own the sheep. And so when push comes to shove and a wolf shows up and his life is on the line, that hired hand will run. Jesus says, that's not me. I will not run. I will not leave you on your own because I feel ownership over you because you are God's people and I am God in the flesh. 
Now, I wouldn't have fully understand the beauty of this part of it, the hired hand not having ownership and how that changes things, if I hadn't recently become a dog owner. I lived 40 years of my life not owning a pet. So I didn't understand dog people or cat people or pig people. I didn't understand most people. <laughs> I was free and clear. I had no ownership. could live my life as I pleased. And then Moose entered my life, my beloved dog Moose. I've had him now for almost a year, not quite a year. And it's, when I even said that, I was like, it's not even been a year? The amount, you guys have heard me tell a story. I ran into oncoming traffic going down uh, 46th into Ballard and almost died rescuing Moose. I only knew him for a month because he's my dog. If I were watching your dog, I would not do it. <laughs> Don't leave your dog with me. That's my dog. I own him. But it's amazing how that ownership changes the way you appreciate and would give your life. I mean, we give a lot to Moose. And I never understood it. Now I do. And now I do. And Jesus says this. He says, these are my sheep. I own them. So of course I'd give my life for them. It's the most beautiful, beautiful picture. If you own a dog or a pet of any kind, you understand a little bit of what Jesus is talking about. When you own it, you'd give your life for it. Okay. So, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. There's thieves, there's robbers, there's strangers, there's hired hands. I'm none of those. I am the shepherd. I own and I give my life for my sheep. And then he goes on and he says, but I'm also the gate. This is the second big category. The gate. And this is strange. So, look at verse 7 and 9. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves or robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, some scholars think, you know, Jesus is mixing metaphors here. Is he the gate or is he the shepherd? And then some scholars are like, it didn't matter back then. You can mix metaphors. Guess who loved that? Me. <laughs> okay. Jesus is mixing metaphors, so if you get upset that I'm mixing my metaphors, just remember this sermon. Okay. So he's trying to say multiple things, and so maybe there is a little mixing of the metaphor. Um, but he's try- like he says it once, and then he has to come and explain it, and he has to say, I'm not just the good shepherd, I'm also the gate. And so what he's trying to get out here is that there is a way for new sheep to enter into the flock of God. But there's only one way. There's only one gate. And Jesus says, I am the gate. So not only am I the good shepherd, but I am also the only way, the narrow way. The road and the gate is broad that leads to destruction. And there's one way to find pasture. It's my gate, and my name is Jesus Christ. And by no other name, by no other gate, can you find the pasture that he's about to talk about. He makes it very clear. I am the gate. I am the gate. So I am the way. But he also says, by talking about himself as the gate, I am also the gatekeeper. I am the security system of God. In John chapter 10, we'll get to this next week, uh, verse 28, so the second part of chapter 10, uh, which is a different context, but Jesus brings in some of the same elements uh, into his speech. 
he talks, uh, he says this. So John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And you see that multiple times in the New Testament. For those who enter by the narrow gate, the gate that is Jesus Christ, once they are in his flock, no wolf, no thief, no robber will snatch them out of his hand. So Jesus is the eternal security system of God. So I want you to know that. Because you're a sheep. And, I, and you should be terrified. But if you've come through the right gate, Jesus has said no one will snatch you out of his hand. He's the good shepherd. So he's the gate in that he's the way to life and life abundant and that he will protect and guard his sheep. So like when a shepherd was out, particularly out in the field, sometimes literally the shepherd, however the encampment worked, he would actually kind of lay down as the gate. So if it's like a circle and it's not quite finished, he would finish it. And he would close it off by laying the shepherd would and would be the gate. So first century Israelites would have, would have had that picture in their mind. Jesus literally is the thing that completes the circle. And all those who find themselves inside the pen can now rest from the weariness of the world. Okay. So I was thinking about this metaphor of the gate. I thought about the Chronicles of Narnia and, and C.S. Lewis's great children's allegory. Um, it's a great story if you haven't read Chronicles of Narnia. And they enter the world of Narnia by what? The wardrobe. So the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first book that Lewis wrote. And uh, the siblings enter, and of course it's Lucy that goes first. And um, just like at Sedaris, Lucy always has to do everything first. Ryan's <laughs> oldest daughter. And so uh, Lucy enters first because she has the eyes of faith to see that the wardrobe is not just an ordinary wardrobe. And on the other side of the wardrobe is an enchanted world. And, um, and she enters in. She has spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to hear. And Lucy always plays that in the Chronicles of Narnia. Spiritual eyes and spiritual ears uh, before her older siblings. And the other siblings come to the closet, and they look in, and they don't see anything. Just an ordinary closet. But not Lucy. And I, I just love that picture because some people will meet Jesus, and they'll say, there's nothing extraordinary about this gate. This looks like all the other gates. Looks like all the other wardrobes, just a bunch of coats hanging in here. But when God gives you spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, you start to see that gate different, and you say, that's the gate. On the other side of that gate is life and life abundant. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I am the gate. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. No one gets to Narnia except through the wardrobe. Okay. So we got shepherds, we got gates, and then we got sheep. Jesus calls them sheep. He calls us sheep. Now we got to understand a few things about sheep. Sheep were thought of as the most obedient of all the animals and also the most gentle. So that's a good thing. Sheep were thought of to be the most submissive of all the animals 
uh, to the rule of those over them. And sheep were thought to be the best at sticking together in the herd. So these are good qualities. These are great qualities. These are qualities of the human being, to be honest. But they're also a great threat to the sheep and a great threat to human beings. So, to extend the metaphor, if people are sheep, it is true that we tend to be very obedient to our rulers, whoever they may be, and many times to a fault. Just study the history of humanity, and you're like, how in the world did they get a whole nation to do that? It's crazy, because human beings are sheep. We tend to be, to our own detriment, overly obedient to our rulers. If, if people are sheep, then we are susceptible to following orders, even when those people don't have our best interest in mind. We tend to allow ourselves to go places. We know we prob- if we really thought about it, shouldn't go, but we'll just go because what else are we going to do? We've got to be careful of that. We've got to be super careful that we don't just go because whoever has the microphone says go. Whoever's got the most views on a video or a TikTok, so it pops up first, that you just assume it must be true, because why would so many people watch that? So many people watch a lot of dumb stuff. I mean, that's literally TikTok. <laughs> like, the, like the dumber you are, the more people watch. And then finally, if humans are like sheep, then we are incredibly susceptible to groupthink. You're incredibly susceptible to groupthink. Now, this could be in the religious sense, and this could be in the non-religious sense. It doesn't matter if the groupthink is happening in a religious community or a non-religious community. Just know we're like sheep. We're incredibly prone to groupthink. Well, the whole herd's going there. I guess guess I'll camp out over here. It feels safe to be where everybody is. The Jesus movement started with 12, and then outside of that, a a group bigger, maybe 50, and then outside of that, a larger group. But it was pushing against the groupthink of Israel that had led them to a place that God did not want them to be. And that's the history of Israel, just like it's the history of all humanity. And Jesus comes and said, I'm a new way. Follow me, and I'll lead you to life. Okay, so if humans are like sheep, then we need to find a good shepherd. It's not enough just to say, I'll be my own shepherd. You're still a sheep, people. Like, you need a shepherd. You you need God. Something has to be God in your life. You're just a sheep. You can't survive on your own. You need something to direct you and guide you and to filter all your decisions through. So who's your shepherd? What I've found, what Jesus claims, what I have found personally, what I've seen other people find personally, is that when they make Jesus their shepherd, they uncover the secret to happiness and life and joy and peace. If you follow Jesus, 
you have a shepherd who is more wise, more seeing, more discerning, and has a long-term plan for your thriving. So ask the question of whatever shepherd you follow. Are they more wise, more seeing, more discerning? Do they have a long-term plan for your thriving? Better than Jesus? If you're not following Jesus, you could start today. If you're only half following Jesus, you can follow him fully today. If you're fully following Jesus, you can get even closer to Jesus today. How do you do it? If that's your desire and you're a sheep, how do you follow a shepherd? Shepherd had four tools. Jesus would have had these in mind. Shepherd had four tools to get the sheep. The first, the shepherd's pipe. This is not what some of you are thinking. This isn't for smoking. It's for playing music. The shepherd's pipe. And each shepherd would play a very unique tune. And he would tune the ears of the sheep to his tune so that he could play that and the sheep would hear it and they would come. And I believe that God wants to tune your heart to his melody. The universe, I think, is haunted by the melody of God. We've talked about this. It's everywhere. But, as my wife likes to say, there are other lullabies that are trying to turn up the volume on you, that are trying to put you asleep, make you apathetic to hearing the lullaby of God. So tune your heart to the song of God, to the shepherd's pipe. How do you do that? Learning great worship songs is a great place to start so that you go from this place singing the tunes of God. The second thing that a shepherd has is the shepherd's herding dogs. They helped keep the sheep in formation, but they were not trying to be the sheep, or sorry, not trying to be the shepherd. They were not asking the sheep to follow them. They were just kind of barking at the edges. Think Ryan Farrell. Think Dave Evanger. We're no shepherd. Or we're like, we're not the good shepherd. We're just dogs <laughs> trying to help keep the sheep near the shepherd. That's our job. To help you not go run away from the shepherd, but to herd you towards the shepherd because life comes near the shepherd. That's our entire job. pray. We pray we're doing a good job of that. But we are not the shepherd. A best friend can be like that. A parent can be like that. Herding dogs that at times need to bark a little bit to help you stay near the shepherd. Don't run from the shepherd. Stay near the shepherd. That's where life is. He's leading you to pastures. Third thing a shepherd has is a staff. Every once in a while, a little whack. It's a loving whack. The shepherd's staff is the discipline of the Lord, and it's not a bad thing. God will allow you to feel the sting of your sin so that you'll turn back and follow him. The staff of the Lord is rebuke. The staff of the Lord is the consequence of sin. You will feel that in your life. And when you feel it, don't become angry with God. 
see it as his loving reorientation to bring you back into the fold where life abounds. Fourth thing that the shepherd has, most important thing, is the shepherd has a unique voice. And the sheep must learn to know the shepherd's voice. As we already said, the sheep, or the shepherd knows each sheep by name, but the sheep have to learn to hear the voice when that name comes. So at the end of John's gospel, when Mary Magdalene is the first to see Jesus, and at first she sees and thinks he might be a gardener, you know, because he did die three days ago, it's like seeing him out of context, and then he says, she turns her back and, and, and Jesus says her name, Mary. And immediately, she says, my Lord. She had learned to hear the voice of her Savior. And all he had to say was her name, and she turned back. It's beautiful. So how, how do you learn to hear the unique voice of your Savior, of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who gave his life for you? How do you learn to hear his voice. Because you aren't like Mary. You didn't get to walk around with Jesus in the flesh for a couple years. How do you get to do this? Three ways. Number one, by learning his enfleshed words recorded for us in the four Gospels. So like hearing him speak directly. Some of you have a red letter Bible, right? Where the direct words of Jesus. Jesus spoke these words just like he spoke these words here to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Learn his words. Study the Sermon on the Mount. Heed his commands. Follow him. Second thing, by learning the words he spoke by his spirit to the prophets and the apostles. So the 66 books of the Bible are also the words of Jesus. Jesus is the word, John says, in the flesh, And then also Jesus sends his spirit to inspire the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament to write the 66 books of the Bible. So you want to learn how God has spoken, how Jesus has spoken through the prophets and the apostles in the Old and New Testament. You want to learn that, all of it, all of it, because you're learning his voice. This is how God talks. This is how he speaks. He likes to use metaphors about being a shepherd. He used it back then and he's using it here. Sounds like God to me. Same God then, same God now. He's always using the same metaphors. Yes, we got to learn it all. Third thing, we have to learn to listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit because that's Jesus' spirit. When Jesus died and then he rose on the third day, and for 40 days he explained everything that had happened, then he said, I must go to the right hand of the Father to sit in the high places so that I can send my spirit, and my spirit will illuminate you all. And he will live in you just as he has lived in the temple. You become little temples. So now you don't have to go to the temple to experience God's voice. He is now with you by his spirit. Jesus is with you by his spirit. The good shepherd is speaking to you if you have received that gift. If you have received the gift of salvation through the body and the blood of Jesus... You've said he's died for my sin, he was buried, and my sin was buried, and he rose again, and he's given me the Spirit. If you say that, then you can be positive that the Spirit of Jesus is with you, and he's speaking to you, and he's nudging you, sometimes loudly, sometimes softly, 
And you need to learn to listen to that still, small voice, the urgings of the Holy Spirit. And that will take some work. You will need to learn to practice silence. Perhaps we have a prayer room. Perhaps you come and you spend some time in a prayer room because you just can't create silence. You get distracted at home. Maybe you come to the prayer room occasionally. Uh, we tried it this morning in pre-service. We closed the doors and we just played some, some music in here to try to create a space for you. So if you want to come early to the service and just sit here and hear from the Lord before all the conversation starts, before the preaching starts, and just hear from the Lord. You need to hear directly from Jesus. Find and practice silence in your life. Then you've got to learn, one way to learn is by historical mapping. So you say like, okay, I, I, it's, over my life, some really good things have happened, and it seemed to be God leading me into those good things. Maybe at other times, I thought God was leading me, but he wasn't, or, or maybe I don't know if he was, but it, it ended here, and the pasture wasn't so green. And, and so you're starting to historically map to hear the voice of God. When, when God speaks, it, it seems to lead to these kinds of things, and these are good things. And so you're doing that mapping, and as you grow, and you can talk to people who have been walking with the Lord longer, you start to realize what the voice of the, of the Spirit sounds like. Usually not audible for most of us. But God, God just gives you these little urges. Maybe call this person. And then you call that person. Sure enough, that person needed to be called. Oh, okay, I'd take, make a little mark note of that. That's what the Spirit sounds like, right? Well, I, th- I think God's calling me to move to this city. And you move to that city, and he opens up a new part of life and faith to you. And you say, I, I think that's what God's voice sounds like. So you've you got to do a little trial and error, Okay? I think God's asking me, and I go, and he confirms it. And so you're doing some historical mapping. So practicing silence, historical mapping, you begin to learn what the, what the still, small voice of, of Jesus in your life through the Holy Spirit sounds like. Now, I have, I've given you these in descending order of importance. They're all very important, and they're all ways God speaks to us. The Good Shepherd speaks to us, but do think... Number one is still number one, and number two is still number two, and number three is number three. And the reason I say that is the way this tends to play out in real life is even though number one is Jesus' direct words, the word in the flesh, and number two is the word through the apostles and the prophets, and three is the word directly to us through the Spirit. Typically, we make decisions starting with the urging of the Spirit, number three, Leading to what has God said in his whole counsel of his word? Does it align with that? Because he wouldn't contradict himself. And then from that, we look at Jesus in particular. Jesus was here. And sometimes I tell people to go have, have a beer with Jesus. Have a glass of wine with Jesus. Get coffee with Jesus. And, and picture him sitting across the table from you. And bring your thought to him. And should I do this? And you study the gospels and you know the gospels so well that you, yeah, I think this is something Jesus might draw me into. Even if it's a hard thing. And the reason you have to kind of do it in the reverse order is, like I said, the scriptures, I haven't found it, say anything about the internet, and they don't tell me how, to, how much Instagram to look at, and they don't tell me how to use a dating app. So I kind of got to ask God to speak to me through the Spirit first, and then see if it aligns with what he said in his whole counsel, and then, and then really take it up with Jesus. What has he said about that? I go to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, well, 
If you even look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery. Oh, shoot. That might inform how I use dating apps. But we got to usually work back up and filter every decision up through the chain. But it starts with that personal relationship with God. We learn to hear his voice. And he's leading us where? He's leading us to the pasture. Verse 10. Or verse 9. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will come in and go out and find pasture. Thieves, they come to steal, kill, destroy. But I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. So what does Jesus mean by abundance? He doesn't mean material wealth. He doesn't mean pretty much anything we think of in the American dream. He means something very different. The word abundance in the Greek means not ordinarily encountered. Extraordinary. Remarkable. If we knew the pastures that Jesus was planning to take us to, we would not hesitate. We would run to him as fast as our legs would take us and we would give ourselves wholly to him. The pastures that he has planned for us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes this, actually quoting Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 64. What no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. If you just knew the pasture that he wants you to be able to come in and go out to, you wouldn't hesitate. You wouldn't question. But we need the eyes and the ears of faith to trust him. And you can pray for that. You can ask God, God, help me to trust that the pastures you are preparing for me and have prepared to me are good pastures, are remarkable pastures, are extraordinary, are pastures that I can't even conceive of because they're so good. I mean, if we could conceive of them, it's because we've experienced them, which means they're not remarkable. That's what God, he's like, guys, trust me. Why else would I lay my life down Why would the God of the universe willingly come and give his life and die the death that he died and absorb the wrath of God so that you could have what you could get with a Harvard education, with a job at Google? No, something extraordinary. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come at all. So the fact that he gave his life, that God gave his life for ours, should tell us that whatever these pastors are, They are not something that can be gained in any other way except by the Son of Man laying his life down for his sheep. And when you come to see that and you realize that's the only logical reason that these pastors are extraordinary, that I can't even conceive of what God has prepared for me, and that's the only reason that he would come and do something so crazy. And in this sense, I agree with the Pharisees. He's crazy to lay his life down for me, a mere sheep. But he's got something planned for you people. He's got something planned for me that I can't even conceive of. But I know him, and I know his voice, and he knows my name, and I can trust that he is good. So I'll follow him wherever he goes. I'll stay as close to him as I can because I don't want to miss what he's got planned. Let's pray.